the Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 457 for March 8th, 2015. Google plans to announce its own branded wireless service. The final 2014 carrier subscriber numbers are in and counting down to the Apple Watch. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Coppice. Brought to you each week by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application. Available now for Android, iOS, and Windows Phone 8 for $1.99. Well, after months of speculation, Google on Monday said they will be announcing Google branded wireless service in the coming months. Google's Sandey Pichai says Google hopes to use the service to highlight newer technologies and not compete with incumbent companies. For example, they say they want phone calls that are dropped by a wireless network operator to continue without interruption by switching over to a Wi-Fi network. Google will work with wireless carrier partners to offer the service rather than create its own network. Various reports have suggested that Google is prepared to partner with Sprint and T-Mobile, but neither Google nor the carriers have confirmed any details. So the Wall Street Journal uh, commented on this as well and basically said, yes, this is indeed uh, something that uh, we know is going to happen. Obviously, Google talking about it, uh, but they're saying it's only going to be available at launch on the Nexus 6. So they've got some sources that are telling them that they'll be weaving together access between T-Mobile and Sprint services in addition to that Wi-Fi access. And the service will only be available to the Nexus 6. So older Nexus devices such as the 4 and 5 will not get access to this. Well, why would you go through the effort of launching a network if you've got, you know, a thousand devices out there? That doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, it it sounds good in theory. uh, And if you're going to sell the Nexus 6 for, you know, $2 or something, then I could see that happening. But uh, I mean, maybe that's going to be exclusive and they will heavily, heavily subsidize the price of the device to get people to actually uh, buy the Nexus 6 and get onto their network. But it seems strange. Well, and I think uh, I think what we'll see they just have taken a device and said, okay, this is the, the last, you know, the oldest one, and then it, okay, we'll we'll announce the Nexus Seven here or whatever they decide to call the next one, and and that'll be the one that that hopefully they they push more with that. Uh, Android five that Lollipop uh, has the ability to automatically pick which is better, whether it's Wi-Fi or cellular for wireless services based on a given application's needs for it. Uh, but uh, Google, of course, not re- commenting at all on the journal's report with this here. But interesting, nonetheless, to just kind of think about what this means and, and how we're, we could potentially see the future of wireless here, because it's really not so much about the wireless network operator anymore when you've got all these landline services and everything essentially going over data at this point. So it's just a matter of figuring out where where you have coverage and who has the best coverage and all of that. And if you spend a lot of time in Wi-Fi, especially this, uh, this could be pretty compelling, especially if the cost is relatively low. Well, next up, as they do each quarter, Fierce Wireless analyzing the numbers from strategy analytics and posting the results on the top carriers in the U.S. for the previous quarter. So in Q4 2014, Verizon remained in the top spot with 131.9 million subscribers. That's now handily on top of AT&T's 120.5 million. Both saw healthy growth with Verizon adding 3.1 million customers and AT&T adding 1.9 million. And for now, much to the chagrin of John Ledger keeping the third spot, Sprint adding 900,000 users, bringing them to 55.5 million. T-Mobile finished fourth with
with a gain of 2.1 million subscribers. So that's more than both AT&T or Sprint added. And they finished just over 55 million. So still about a half a million customers shy of where Sprint is. Rounding out the top five with less than 10% of even what T-Mobile had is U.S. Sailor at 4.8 million subscribers. They added 86,000 during the last quarter of the year. All carriers combined now total 367.6 million lines of service. That includes retail and wholesale postpaid connections, including connected devices such as tablets and other things. So uh, 367 million on a population around the country of just over 300 million. So obviously we are at well over the 100% saturation point. But again, that includes tablets and hotspots and all that kind of stuff. And and uh, certainly this does not include all the prepaid lines that are out there either. So uh, nonetheless, though, interesting stuff here. Verizon just absolutely taken off here. Over 10 million more subscribers now than AT&T. Yeah, they are. But uh, I think the, 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 you know, the shared plans with the tablets and the, you know, the price of those is, is really, uh, you know, it's slowly solidifying. I mean, as people get iPads or they update their iPads, they move over to the LTE versions, you know, along with their Android tablets, the same thing. It's, it's kind of the natural progression of devices where we are going more that direction. It's, it's not something that people really need to go out and run and get right away when the iPad was first uh, announced. You know, obviously, a, a few of us have, but I think more mainstream is is kind of hard to quantify as we as you know us as tech geeks look at this and say well that's old news but as it kind of slowly trickles out to the masses this is where you get uh, you know the companies like Verizon where they really excel with their service yeah and I think if you look at you know the the who is growing here the fastest I mean obviously Verizon is is uh, doing pretty well adding three million subscribers and as far as the the just the the number that they had that grew, they had the, the largest growth. But on a percentage basis, T-Mobile, um, you know, had over four percent growth here in the quarter, and I think that's uh, something to uh, to to take note of as well is that they are they're growing extremely fast, and so uh, they they almost certainly will take over Sprint in this first quarter of 2015. But uh, either way, there's uh, there, there's a lot of uh, still a lot of growth here, and a lot of lines that people are adding. So it's it's good news for the industry in general that uh, we're not slowing down here, at least not from uh, these recent. Numbers. Research firm Gartner claiming that Samsung has sold 73.03 million smartphones in the fourth quarter of 2014, but was beaten by Apple, which uh, sold 74.83 million handsets. This is the first time since 2011 that Samsung has not been at the top of the worldwide smartphone sales list on a quarterly basis. That, of course, coming due to high sales of the iPhone 6 and 6 Plus. Samsung's performance in the smartphone market has deteriorated further in the fourth quarter when it lost nearly 10 percentage points in market share. Samsung continues to struggle to control its falling smartphone share, which was at its highest in the third quarter of 2013. The downward trend shows that Samsung's share of uh, premium smartphone users has come under significant pressure. Overall, though, Samsung still has more smartphones than Apple sold for the entire year, with 307.6 million worldwide. That number well ahead of Apple's 191 million smartphones that they sold in 2014. Verizon this week announcing flexible business plans, letting companies get the right amount of data that they want for each line on the plan. All flexible business plans include unlimited domestic calls and messaging, as well as unlimited international messaging, mobile hotspot, and corporate email. Businesses select the specific data allotment given to each line of the plan, and even when included on a shared data plan, they can make that choice. So for example, a five-line plan with 10 gigabytes of shared data can be divvied up however the business wants. So one line could get six gigs and the other four only 
only a gig and so on. Verizon said businesses can configure the plans to suit their needs. The flexible business plans are compatible with internet devices as well, such as tablets and Wi-Fi hotspots. That's a really interesting feature. I never even thought of much about that. I, you know, I have because I, I would like to keep individual users from going bonkers and using a whole, you know, like watching Netflix by accident, which actually did happen to me uh, and like taking the whole data plan out uh, in a matter of a couple of days. But uh, I, I didn't look at the details of this plan. I wonder if you can what happens when you reach that limit set? Does the device just stop working or does it slow down or something? Because that would be also difficult as well. If you set, you know, let's say you set a one gig for each person and all of a sudden then they've run over it. Can you turn it back on or uh, that's a bunch of questions I need to look into? Well, and it's I think it's interesting from a, you know, from the, that perspective that you would be able to control it. But to your point, I, I, I see that also where you're, um, you know, you, you may have devices that don't work after that. But, it, you know, I think that's at the point where someone go, you go back to the IT department, you go back to the administrator and you say, OK, the device is not working at this point. And then you can investigate and find out, you know, was it that they were just using data frivolously like with Netflix or were they actually using it for business purposes? And it's, you know, all coming through email or whatever it is. And you can make that decision at that point. But uh but yeah, from hearing that, that you've you know, burned through almost an entire data cap with Netflix usage from somebody is the exact reason that you'd want to do this. So interesting there in those new plans will be available later this month. Sprint this week launching an open enrollment for customers who didn't sign up for its total equipment protection programs when they bought their phones may do so now through the end of the month. Pricing for the total equipment program ranges between $9 and $13 per month, depending on the device. Qualcomm on Monday announcing Snapdragon Sense ID. This is a fingerprint scanning technology that makes a 3D map of a finger using ultrasonic technology. Snapdragon Sense ID is designed to integrate into the phone bezel and works through multiple materials such as metal or glass. It's designed to be unaffected by things like dirt, oil, or hand lotion that can affect other fingerprinting technologies. Qualcomm claims that it's more secure than capacitive technologies due to its more detailed mapping of the finger detail. The company also claims to allow a wider variety of phone designs and form factors, and it can be designed into any phone using an existing or future Qualcomm chipset with the secure element technology. Qualcomm expects the technology to reach the market in the second half of the year. MediaTek on Monday announced the MT3188. This is a multi-mode wireless charging circuit for mobile devices. With the 3188, devices can be designed to support resonant wireless charging and inductive wireless charging thanks to this single circuit. MediaTek says the chip is already in production and should reach consumer devices in the first half of the year. The 3188 supports A4WP, PMA, and WPC charging, the major uh, standards being used in wireless charging. Mobile wallet service SoftCard has informed users that the application will be going offline starting on March 31st. SoftCard customers can use the application through the end of the month, but afterwards their accounts will be automatically closed. SoftCard recommends users who wish to be able to make mobile payments download the Google Wallet application. Google purchased the SoftCard assets in the deal announced last month. Google Wallet will replace SoftCard on Android handsets later this year. Oh, I can imagine the money that was spent on this thing over all this, uh, over these last, what, five years or something. We've heard this, uh, of you know, this formerly known as ISIS uh, program here. Now Google buys and just shuts it down, of course, because, you know, why is this existing and why is this competing? And it's, it's, it's one of these, you know, failed attempts at trying to get a standard in place by a bunch of companies that are uh, too big to understand what the market needs. Yeah. And this, again, this was one that was backed by all the major carriers. It was backed by uh, the financial institutions. And, and there was all of, I mean, we, we talked about it. We were talking, oh, it's going to launch in Salt Lake City. This is the trial area. This, is, I mean, we talked about this every, probably at least once a month for a year and a half. And, and all of a sudden, poof, it's gone. 
Oh, exactly. And probably I'm sure it's been more than a year. And a half. It has to be way more than a year and a half uh, that we've been talking about this. It, but it's just it's one of these things, that, you know, you can get every huge company together to try to do something and it still cannot get done. It's, uh, it, you know, you, just because you throw money at it doesn't mean it's going to actually work. So it's uh, it, it's a it's a really interesting business case here to to look at how how these things just do not work. You need to have something that's actually consumer and customer friendly and easy to use. That's right. Apple recently awarded a patent to analyze routes between two locations and then employ an algorithm that considers wireless network strengths along those routes. Meaning because your iPhone can collect and measure cellular signal data and then share that data along a route, Apple has the potential for allowing maps to provide alternative routes for problematic dead zone areas and suggest alternative routes with better signals. This could help users avoid routes where you may lose the ability to place a phone call, use Siri, or stream music. Nothing has been announced from Apple suggesting the new feature will be included, though, in an upcoming version. Uh, Obviously, this may or may not even come to any anything but i thought it was a very interesting piece that uh you know a piece of information that we we talk about today just how much we use our data connections and our phones to do different things and as we start to see things like uh you know the the car integration into things and it's not just streaming music over bluetooth to your car but you know ap- actually the 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 automa- the the vehicle uh, in-dash systems that are out there from both Apple and Android. Now, certain pieces of information like this are, are very intriguing to know about. Uh, Joey, you and I were just talking about before the show how I have a, a different route that I take home from work than I do to work, and there's an area on there where I've got very low service, and I know that I can't stream music, and, and so unfortunately, I, I choose not to do that uh, in that area because of that. But if I, if I had something that could tell me with more precision on this uh, while I was driving around and doing different things uh it could certainly be a compelling reason to uh to use the maps application for that well it is especially if uh you know data is more critical let's say you're doing a job or or something like public safety aspect where you need data uh more critically and then that would be something where you could actually see that on the map uh maybe would show you dead zones on a in a graphical interface where you know that if you need data, you better not be in this area. So and that's also, uh, to me, that sounds like a, a good safety aspect as well. It's hard, though. I, I've, I've seen a lot of these, you know, whether it's root metrics or I, I don't remember whatever other cellular websites that are out there that provide this information, but they show sort of graphically on a map, you know, where there's service and where there isn't service. But again, it's more than just showing a little dot in a, in a quadrant. I mean, it's, it's a, you know, it's a, something that regularly changes and it, you know, almost like within a couple hundred yards, it can change very dramatically. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's something that's going to take, I think the precision of, of a, you know, almost real time devices going through and uh, providing that data back to, uh, to back to a central database to be able to handle this. So again, we'll see if this actually turns into something, but nonetheless, a very interesting thing to think about that could be in our future exactly and then of course uh, of course carriers could actually use that information as well if they sell it back to them for uh, you know improving their network along uh, paths that people uh, people travel uh, indeed indeed device news this week the 12.9 inch ipad pro uh, that's expected to make its appearance around april has been pushed back uh, to later this year according to bloomberg uh, the new release date sometime for uh, supposedly September now. Uh, The delay is said to be the result of a display panel supply problem. The larger tablet is expected to include an A8X processor built by Apple and uh, the development side of it. uh, We should start seeing some uh, leaks here. 
uh, with this and uh, possibly even see a next generation chip as well, the A9 chip that could be coming with this too. So anyway, corroborating this time change, the Wall Street Journal claiming Apple is indeed now targeting the second half of the year for the mass production of this device. And they're also talking about some additional features coming to it as well. Yeah, you know, the uh, additional features seem kind of bizarre to me. Uh, You know, adding ports is very unlike Apple. Yeah, so what we're talking about here, uh, the company is considering adding a USB 3.0 port to accommodate data transfer and peripheral connectivity. They're also considering additional ports for connections for things like keyboards and mice. Uh, you know, a- Apple, it's interesting because Apple has, has historically viewed the iPad as a very, obviously, consumer touch focus device that that doesn't have all of these different ports think about um you know what we're looking at as far as the rumored specs on a on a new um uh, macbook air where you've got essentially one port uh only for the entire thing so we'll see what happens with this but yeah you're right it's, it seems a little odd well okay so specifically calling out keyboard and mouse is really stupid to me uh because first of all it's, a, it's an ipad what would you have a mouse for and then second of all keyboard i mean you use bluetooth hello uh just like every other mac that's out there but having a usb 3 port does make sense for an ipad pro to me and i'll tell you why it's because of the enterprise because of business apple is making more of a push to get into that market and an ipad pro fits perfectly i mean think about how many uh you know small businesses you see that are starting to use ipads for their cash register and and of course you see you know dedicated devices and factories that use apple products because they're thousands and dollars cheaper than uh the dedicated you know terminals that they use in a factory and of course they're more more reliable more portable uh you know all all of the above and an ipad pro to me i I just see that as a business case uh just in in so many aspects that i I, you know i can see that they would want to try to go down this route and have uh usb3 ports for uh you know having connectivity for extra peripherals that aren't just you know lightning connector uh, that they can kind of, that they're more generational and you can even go beyond the, uh, the lightning port. So I will agree with you that, uh, connecting a keyboard and, and needing a USB port to connect a keyboard is ridiculous. Cause yes, of course, why not just use, use Bluetooth, but I, I will argue that I would be open to connecting a mouse up to an iPad. Now, let me explain. So I, for whatever reason, I, I do a lot of remote desktop work uh, on my iPad back to uh, a desktop computer. And I, in that case, I feel like I'm using a computer, but I don't want to have the computer. I just want to use the iPad to do so and would love to be able to connect a mouse up to it to have that more granular control over it, uh, whether it's copy and pasting text, uh, selecting things. I just feel like I'm faster with a mouse and would, would, would really like to have that functionality built in if it was, uh, if it was available. I would absolutely use it. Yeah, and I completely disagree. I think that, you know, the on-screen mouse uh, functionality of the, like, the remote desktop and the VNC is uh, perfectly acceptable for the iPad and uh, would not want to goof around with a a mouse because that completely negates the purpose of having it, and I'd just have a MacBook Air instead. Okay, well, I I think there's there's a, if the functionality can be built into it, I think there's at least the option for it to go where there's no mouse shown on the screen or anything like that until you connect a mouse up to it. And then all of a sudden you've got a pointing device that's on there. I think that's, or maybe it's connecting a a Bluetooth stylus as an example, right? Maybe then there's a way to use that and hover it over the screen or something like that. That would be a little bit more interesting to to help to uh, enhance the functionality of it. 
Yeah, and that could be possible. I mean, we've, we've heard rumors of them having a stylus, which, of course, for me, that also makes sense in business because I'm, I'm thinking of, uh, you know, this, uh, car dealership I go to frequently. They've got these uh, really big, goofy uh, uh, tablet computers where you sign your name on it. And they're, it's a, you know, they're doing the service right up, but they use that and they use the stylus and everything. I could see, you know, the iPad uh, Pro making a inroad into that. And doctors where they need to scribble notes down. It's quicker than, you know, typing it in. Th- those kind of things is what I see where Apple may be looking at to expand the iPad market. Well, the the dealer that I go to, the car dealer, uses iPads, and it's actually kind of a, a neat thing because you do pretty much everything from the time that they get in. Uh, they've got there's a way that they scan uh, the I don't know what it is uh, on the car. There's maybe there's a, a, a UPC or something that they scan. No, it's a it's a VIN number, and the VIN number actually has a barcode. If you look at it, it's got a VIN, uh, a barcode right under the VIN number. Yeah. Okay, so that that's what it is. They're grabbing that. Yeah, it would be UPC. It'd be a, the barcode for the VIN. They gr- they grab that, pulls up all the information. They verify all my information, and then they go through and they enter you know they got the service appointment all there then they enter in all sorts of information any notes and stuff like that it's all done on the ipad on screen i sign it on screen and it's it gets emailed over to me it's very very convenient and so i definitely see uh how you uh you know how you can start to integrate this stuff here um but anyway uh, the long and the short of it is that um so we've got these possibilities of additional connections on this ipad and then there's also uh this rumor that apple's looking to speed up the charging time for the ipad pro um as of course it would need an even higher capacity battery than the current ipad lines which you know take a a couple of hours to charge at this point and it would be nice to be able to do uh, to do that much faster um i i will i use a lenovo laptop at work and i will i will say that i'm really impressed with how fast that thing charges up i mean the battery lasts a good uh, you know, minimum of six hours, sometimes eight hours if you turn down the brightness and everything on it. And you can charge that thing up in like 90 minutes. I mean, it's very fast. I'm very impressed at how fast it charges up. So uh, it's I, I would like to see something like that with an iPad Pro as well, where you can essentially use this thing all day, plug it in and uh, to at least just top up uh, to get enough in, you know, say 20 minutes or something like that, or plug it in and be totally charged in, say, 90 yeah, and for me, I would see that they would have, you know, a, a 35 watt, uh, you know, charging adapters is what it, you'd probably need or, or even a 40 watt. Yeah, well, I, cause what are, what are the, the Apple laptops today? They're like 85 watts, aren't they? Well, it ranges. The The 11 inch MacBook Air is a 43 or 45 watt. Uh, the MacBook Pros that we have, Mickey, the 13 inch uses uh, 65 watts. And then the uh, the big older ones, the 17 inch used to have uh, 85 watts. And that's what the Thunderbolt display has. Okay. which that and So that's what I'm thinking about. So I plug in my laptop into my into the Thunderbolt display here and it charges up very fast, which is, is very nice to have uh, and, and would love to see that. I guess the other part of it is, is there a way to figure out how to use the current laptop charging adapters for an iPad uh, and and just have it, you know, do an auto sensing type of thing and to take as much power as possible there. Because I think that makes a lot of sense, too, for for things like us that are using these Thunderbolt displays and, you know, or and we've got these these, you know, old laptop chargers sitting around. It's interesting. I, I was uh, I traveled, I don't know, a couple of months back. And for the first time, I pulled the laptop charger out of the plastic because I bought the Thunderbolt display and the laptop at the same time. And um, I just always charge it on the Thunderbolt display. I have 
have no need to use anything else to charge it up. And so it's, it's very convenient for that. Uh, and, uh, you know, so to be able to take advantage of the other chargers that you have around, I think is, is a good thing. So anyway, so they're trying to figure out what's going on with the power. Um, finally, the wall street journal saying that the iPad pros display will indeed be 12.9 inches. Um, there's been rumors that it's going to be somewhere between 12.2 and 12.9. They're saying 12.9 is the size. So we'll see what happens with that. I'm, I'm very intrigued with this one. I'm holding off on, on any new iPad purchases until uh, this thing potentially uh, hits the shelves. So that could be somewhere here within the next six months, it sounds like. Well, in other Apple rumors, a successor to Beats Music uh, as an all-you-can-stream music service are nothing new, but a couple of new reports have the service potentially being launched at WWDC versus sometime in the next couple of months. Uh, looks like we're talking about a service that will cost somewhere around $8 a month, higher than the uh, $5 that we recently had heard that Apple was trying to uh, to bill for this thing. Uh, but it could be, a bit, you know, as in comparison to the other $10 a month services that are out there, it's still well within the realm of uh, acceptable there. So we'll see what happens uh, with this one, but could be interesting uh, to see what happens and how Beats uh, integrates with the iTunes radio service. And, you know, one of them could potentially be a streaming paid service and the other one kind of sticking as the the ad supported model. So we'll see how that how that all plays out. And uh, this is another one of those. I'm just kind of waiting to see what happens here. I um, we talked about last week, Google Music. Uh, Google Play Music, that is, up their number of songs available to stream that you can store with them to 50,000. Apple is still at 20,000. So, uh, you know, that could change as well, depending on how much you're paying here. Because right now, for, for to use iTunes Match, essentially, to get that 20,000 songs, it's only $2 a month. It's 20, was it $24 a year, $25 a year? So if they up this to just say $8 a month, maybe then they allow for 50 or even 100,000 songs uh, of your own music to be pulled into the service. And it's weird for me. I still just don't care about any of these streaming music only services. It's kind of weird. It's like since I have Sirius and, and like some of the uh, talk and news stations on there. And uh, I mean, that's probably over 50 percent of what I listen to. Uh, you know, these any of these services still just do not interest me whatsoever right now. It, it, they're really kind of missing that uh, that component. Yeah, and I'm, you know, it's interesting because I since we we dropped our subscription to Slacker, we've been using the the Amazon uh, Prime music quite a bit, and you can add and, and create playlists on there, and that works out pretty well. And it's got doesn't have everything, but it's it's uh, certainly enough to uh, to suffice. Uh, and then couple that with the iTunes Radio, not even the paid version, the the ad supported version of iTunes Radio. Between those two, uh, we're all set. And it's interesting because I'll do other things too. I'll use the the Slingbox uh, to sometimes just stream audio if I'm just looking to listen to a program on there from something that's on the TV, or uh, I'll even go in and uh, grab the the local NPR stream, and I'll. I'll listen to that just for directly from a website uh, over Safari, not even using an application. So there's all sorts of different things that you can do out there now. And I, this could be the, the one thing I will say about this is uh, something that Apple comes out with is if they can they can integrate it with the music player. It just feels more native and it just it, it, it works better on the device overall. And it and it always seems to use less battery. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point, too. It, it, it really hardly uses anything, it seems, to do that streaming. So uh, either way, uh, some interesting stuff there. One last Apple thing. They have their media event tomorrow, uh, Monday, March 9th, where they're expected to announce the, uh, the launch details and additional features of the Apple Watch. We're going to skip any further discussion on the subject until next week, though, because, look, there's going to be all the actual details of what's happening that we're going to hear in less than 24 hours. Yeah, the speculation is hard and the speculation is high, of course, of 
of this Apple Watch because this is going to be, you know, the Apple seems to set the benchmark for, you know, a product category. And we've had lots of Android wearables. We've had Pebbles. We've got uh, these, you know, this is a market that's, uh, you know, dates back 35, 40 years with the calculator watches, basically, you know, having a smart watch that, you know, does more than just tell the time is something that's kind of always been uh, uh, exciting to just a handful of people. And, and really, is this going to define a new market or is this going to be something that uh, falls away like the, uh, you know, the PDA, like the Apple Newton? It's that that's what the real the real question is, that is Apple going to change this market enough to really gain mainstream support? That's a great question. That is the one that needs to be answered here. Other rumors for tomorrow include a new Retina Display MacBook Air and an updated Apple TV. We'll see what we get when it's all said and done. Microsoft on Monday announcing the Lumia 640. This is a colorful device with interchangeable rear shells. It includes Microsoft's standard set of productivity apps, supports LTE, has a 2500 milliamp hour battery, 8 megapixel camera, 5 inch HD screen, and also single and dual SIM configurations. The 640 will ship with Windows 8.1 and can be fully upgraded to the full version of Windows 10 when that launches. The Lumia 640 will be available in April. The price approximately $178. Now for larger screen fans, Microsoft also announced the Lumia 640 XL. This is a larger version of the 640, but a screen stretched out to 5.7 inches and a camera improved to 13 megapixels. The uh, in- included Microsoft standard set of pro- productivity apps and 4G LTE are still included. It will ship with Windows 8.1 and it can be upgraded to Windows 10. The 640XL, available in April from AT&T, T-Mobile, and MetroPCS in the U.S. Microsoft said it will include a one-year subscription to Office 365, which includes uh, the 365 applications, as well as one terabyte of OneDrive storage and 60 Skype World Minutes. The price will be approximately $245. Switching over to Windows 10, Microsoft revealed more features for the smartphone version of the new Windows. So, for example, Skype integration will return to the native messaging application. This device will expand and the number of tools available in the Action Center from 4 to 12, and newly installed applications will appear at the top of the app menu listing. The company talked up the Project Spartan browser, which Microsoft says will adapt to whichever type of device which it is running. One new feature is a reading list view, which simplifies the layout of a web article to make it easier to read. Project Spartan is a universal application, meaning it runs similarly across all Windows devices. The company also demonstrated how here Maps works with the Surface and can easily transition to other form factors such as PCs and smartphones. Reminders set in Cortana will sync across all Windows 10 devices no matter which device is being used to create the reminder. And further Cortana notebooks note the notebook feature will be better at marking making suggestions based on the user's interests. Windows 10 is available as a technical preview for select Lumia devices. It's expected to reach all phones later this year. Microsoft also said it has got multiple new Windows 10 handsets prepared for this year including a new flag flagship device scheduled for mid-year. Microsoft hasn't released a flagship Lumia phone in over a year and is said to be waiting for Windows 10 in order to do so. BlackBerry on Tuesday announcing the Leap smartphone. This is similar in style to its other slab devices known as the, uh, like the BlackBerry Z10. The Leap features a 5-inch 720p HD display, LTE, and an 8-megapixel main camera, 2-megapixel front camera, memory card slot, and a 2800 milliamp hour battery. It's powered by a Qualcomm Snapdragon S4 processor at 1.5 gigahertz. It will also include an Amazon App Store for compatible Android applications and will run Android uh, and any 
existing Android apps that you can download from there. The operating system is BlackBerry 10.3.1, and the device will cost $275. Look for the Leap to be released initially in Europe. Uh, at the same event, BlackBerry promised a device with an innovative new design in a dual curve display, large touchscreen screen, touch screen and also a slide out keyboard uh, the company is also planning a new standard keyboard phone likely to replace the q10 finally the company is working on a new porsche designed phone and is uh, in line with its existing porsche versions of flagship devices timing for those was though not mentioned sony on monday announcing the m4 aqua a mid-range handset for active users the m4 uses sony's omnibalance design language and integrates metal plastics and tempered glass the phone is waterproof and has an open but has an open headset jack and micro usb port features a 13 megapixel camera snapdragon snapdragon 615 processor with eight cores and runs on android 5.0 lollipop it will be out on more than 100 carriers in 80 countries pricing at about 335 dollars though no word on which u.s carriers will pick up the device Alcatel OneTouch on Monday announcing the Hero 2 Plus. This is a phablet running on Cyanogen. The Hero 2 Plus is a refreshed version of last year's Hero 2. The Cyanogen 11 operating system is based on Android 4.4.4 KitKat. It includes Cyanogen's privacy guard software and lets users protect their information, as well as encrypt and remotely lock and wipe their device. Cyanogen has supplied its own set of themes and wallpapers for the user interface in addition to the camera software and other tools. The phone has a 6-inch full HD display with built-in stylus. It's powered by a 2 gigahertz octa-core Cortex-A7 processor paired with 2 gigs of RAM and 16 gigs of storage. It captures 13 megapixel stills and has a 5 megapixel user-facing camera as well. It has HD video and Alcatel plans to sell the phone directly to consumers in the U.S., Unlocked for $299. Alcatel expecting it to go on sale in the second quarter. And Yoda Phone announcing on Tuesday plans to launch a dual screen handset called the Yoda Phone 2 in the U.S. via crowdfunding site Indiegogo. The Yoda Phone 2 phone has a large e-paper display on the back and uses no power when displaying static images and graphics. It also extends battery life when used in, instead of the traditional display. It will be compatible with AT&T and T-Mobile and will sell for approximately $600. Finally, in device news, Pebble on Tuesday followed up to its Pebble Time smartwatch with the Pebble Time Steel. The Steel version of the Time has all the same features but uses a CNC finished 316L stainless steel casing, includes a premium leather or stainless steel strap, and provides up to 10 days of battery life. Like the Pebble Time, the Pebble Time Steel will be available through Kickstarter. Pledge, or early pledges can reserve one for $250. You know, it must be a little rough at Pebble right now with the uh, Apple Watch looming here. It, it, you know, it's kind of a company that really hit, uh, you know, Kickstarter big. They were not the first smart watch, but boy, they were kind of the biggest, uh, the biggest of their day. And and now it's uh, probably probably feeling like now with the Apple, the the huge uh, juggernaut in the room launching their smart watch. It's got to be a little rough over there for that. Uh, you know, th th their future is probably in question. I think there's uh, there's still going to be room for it, though. I think uh, you know there's there are going to be people who are not going to want to spend a minimum of three hundred and fifty dollars on on the Apple Watch, and, and uh, all they really want are notifications, and they want something, and, and maybe you know it's additional battery life, and they don't want uh, you know there's there's there, there's a there's going to be a, a continued market there for them. But I, I totally agree with you. You wonder about that, like how how long they're going to continue on here, how many more people are going to buy these devices uh, versus switching over to the Apple Watch. And, and maybe they just they keep ticking on and they keep selling this device and the, the, the numbers are, are what they are. 
uh, but they're not going to see, you know, a massive uptick because of the Apple Watch or anything like that. So it is kind of an interesting thing to think about. Anyway, Pebble Time Steel will be shipping in July. First in software news, Google is preparing to release an Android Wear application on the iTunes App Store. Yes, Android Wear coming to the iPhone and iPad, according to French technology website Zero One Net. Contrary to our speculation uh, from earlier in the year, the report claims Android Wear with extended iOS support could be announced at Google's I.O. developer conference in May, although Google may push out that agenda depending on sales of the Apple Watch. Last month, the an unofficial video of an iPhone paired with Android Wear amassed over 300,000 views on YouTube. Android Wear smartwatches such as the LG G Watch, Moto 360, and Samsung Gear Live are limited in pairing with smartphones running Android 4.3 or later requiring the official Android Wear application from the Google Play Store. And Google pushing out a minor update to its Gmail application for iPhones and iPads, allowing people to reply or archive emails directly from incoming notifications on the lock screen. When replying to the lock screen, a new button opens a response in the Gmail application, reducing steps and saving time. The update for Gmail now allows users to share media content, such as photos or videos, from other applications directly to new messages in Gmail. It's a free download in the iTunes App Store. And Google's uh, announced this week as well that uh, it's the, that they said that they didn't see Android Pay and Google Wallet competing with uh, Samsung's recently announced Samsung Pay. Uh, Android Pay is an API that will be used to uh, by developers across the entire Android ecosystem. Samsung Pay, however, is a complete solution to make mobile payments across Samsung handsets. Google plans to work with Samsung to see how Android Pay and Samsung Pay can work together. And Google's head of Google Photos and Streams products announcing on Monday that Google is splitting its Photos product from its main Google Plus social account, which is being rebranded by Google under the new Streams name. Google didn't say when the official split will take place, but it's been improving the Photos application on Android devices, and it's now the default photo gallery tool on smartphones. So I just saw that on iOS here with the photo Google Photos that they're going to be uh, integrating that into the Google Drive application for the automatic uploads of photos, kind of like what Dropbox does. So uh, with the split here from Google Plus, it looks like we're going to finally get the uh, uh, you know the, the the photo uploads that we deserve here with the the Google Drive aspect. Yeah, that's very very good to hear. Uh, obviously, I'm I'm not a not a big fan of Google Plus. In fact, I've completely deleted it off of all of my devices at this point. I wasn't uh, a big fan. Of, of I, I just didn't I didn't use it so I, I didn't decide it I didn't need it on the phone anymore so anyway uh, but either way it's it'll be interesting to see how they figure this out because obviously people are thinking about photos differently than Google Plus uh, users are so it's it's something to uh, to keep in mind also the company behind the modified Android OS signage and mod announcing a rebranding uh, that will make it more mainstream this week. Um, in addition to the rebranding effort, Cyanogen is partnering with Qualcomm to develop software for its reference design products coming out later this year. The Cyanogen partnership will provide software features and UI elements for devices running Snapdragon uh, 200, 400, and 600 processors used in low and mid-range handsets. Verizon Wireless announcing on Tuesday that it's now pushing out Android 5.0 Lollipop to the HTC One M8. In addition to the new OS, it uh, enables band for roaming and improves the three-way calling feature owners can download and install the update over the air questions and comments this week first up is a comment from tim and tim says just to clarify android pay is only the name of the api for in-app purchases a developer term only google wallet uh, will be the uh, application uh, for devices for using uh, for nfc payments 
Tim. Well, Tim, thank you very much for that clarification. We did talk about that last week as being two separate things. So thank you for clarifying that for us that we're still actually talking about Google Wallet. Next up is a comment from Harry. He says, I disagree with Joey on the use of wireless connections. We use wired connections for stationary connections like I'm doing right now at work at my desk. No need for me to take up wireless broadband all day. And when I'm at home, why should I take up my, the wireless spectrum there either to stream Netflix when I have a bunch of fiber running all over my neighborhood? Wireless is used when we are not close to a wired connection. Well, you know, I, I guess I, I agree with what you're saying here, Harry. Uh, Joey, let's talk, I guess, just briefly about this to clarify kind of the position on this here. What we're essentially saying is that as we move forward in time, uh, you know, the the amount of wireless data that you're going to get for the amount that you're paying, uh, in my mind, is going to only be that that, that relationship is going to get better for the consumer because you're going to get more data. Uh, and uh, I, I'm assuming that it, you weren't saying that you would be switching over your, your home wired connection for wireless anytime soon no but it's moving that direction i mean if you if you take uh you know mobile phones versus you know landline wired phones with copper i mean you, you had much more reliable quality with the uh, you know, landline phones back then but if you think of the infrastructure required to do that it's it's drastically more expensive and uh, wireless is way more convenient. I mean, uh, it would be like me trying to have my laptop, of course, have a uh, you know Ethernet cord running to it. it. Yes, it gives me a more reliable connection. I don't have to worry about interference. But as Wi-Fi continues to improve and as, as wireless networks become more efficient in their bandwidth usage, uh, the price drives down quite a bit more while providing a better user experience. So uh, it's going that direction. I mean, wired connections uh, are on the decline no matter what kind of connection you're speaking of. And of course, you know, fiber optic gives you much more, uh, you know, much more bandwidth. And, and of course, that'll be around for a long time to come. But as wireless continues to improve, it it's just going to go away. It, it, it's unfortunate fact that, uh, you know, as, as far as the end user goes, I mean, obviously, it'll always be required for backhauls, between uh, wireless connections, but uh, that's just the the way we're moving. You know, it's interesting. I, I was thinking about it the other day. If if I I'm in a position right now where if I could figure out uh, and, and they could figure out how to do the continuity Apple phone calling stuff from an iPhone to an iPad just over Bluetooth, so it didn't need a wi a Wi-Fi connection. And uh, the backups of my uh, my iTunes, my or well, not my iTunes of my phone back to iCloud could occur over a cellular connection. Um, and what was the other thing? Oh, and videos could be backed up over a when photos and videos through the photos application could all be done over a cellular connection. If I didn't need Wi-Fi for any of that stuff, I think that's the only stuff that's left over anymore that you still need Wi-Fi for. I don't even know that I would leave Wi-Fi on on my phone. Um, and here's why I. The, the the pain point for me at this point is walking around into areas where Wi-Fi is not strong enough to support whatever it is that I'm doing. And so I regularly, and I say regularly, multiple times per day have to close my mail application because it gets stuck in this like downloading loop that occurs when I walk from one area to another and I'm trying to download messages or uh, send in a message or something like that. And it just gets stuck and it just spins and spins and spins. And I, I just don't have the patience to turn it off and wait for it because I'm trying to actually do something. So I'll close mail and open it back up, usually closing or shutting off Wi-Fi in the process. And it's 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 almost like it's just not worth it anymore uh, to have all of that. So I would I would actually just prefer to have, uh, you know, have it on cellular all the time. I understand the need for to have it, you know, from time to time if I'm streaming, if I'm you know doing a hotspot, if I'm doing whatever. But general day to day. 
it's just just not necessary for me. It just it, it driving me crazy. So if uh, that's kind of what I'm thinking today, but but ultimately I keep it on because I want to make sure that I get all those other fu- that all other functionality. And wireless is just, uh, you know, it's just handy and the spectrum is becoming more and more efficient. So, you know, we're moving that way. And obviously it won't ever fully replace wired connections. I mean, that it, it, it's, it, but, but as far as averages and mainstream goes, it, it, it's moving that direction. Yeah, it, it is indeed. Next up here is a comment from Joseph. He says, you can get uh, foreign sims before you go uh, out of the country from places such as telestial.com. That's T E L E. S-T-I-A-L dot com. Uh, you should know, though, that if you use Telestial.com, they, uh, the cost you pay for a kit is much more expensive than if you had purchased the SIM at your destination city. Usually these SIMs are already activated and you have simply have to inst- install the SIM in your device. Joseph. Um, Joseph, thanks for that recommendation. Obviously, we, we talked about SIMs and traveling uh, last week as well, uh, you know, and, and where to get SIMs. And that's, that's yet another place that you can get one. So there's a number of, of different things that you can do that are out there but telestial.com is definitely a good one to consider Uh, and along that same line we're going to end the show here with a voicemail from mel hey guys this is mel from the midwest i'm responding to one of your callers on um sunday your sunday march 1st uh podcast and by the way keep up the good work it's awesome it's great um with regard to international travel uh, you didn't mention T-Mobile. So it turns out if you have a regular T-Mobile plan, and I guess that is not the uh, little prepaid ones, when you go to most countries, you have unlimited 2G data, which is adequate for texts and email, and you can make phone calls for 20 cents a minute. A friend of mine did that and went to New Zealand for 10 days, and when she got back, she checked her uh, bills, and there were no extra charges. So, man, that would be an awesome plan if you're already on T-Mobile, or it might even be worth getting a T-Mobile plan if you're planning to leave the country. Keep up the good work. Have a marvelous week, and looking forward to hearing your next podcast. Mel, thank you very much. Of course, T-Mobile, how could we have forgotten to talk about T-Mobile last week? The international plans from the number four carrier are some of the best out there for world travelers. Low rates on phone calls, free 2G data roaming. It's hard to beat if you're someone who crosses borders on a regular basis. So uh, even if you don't have them as your primary carrier, it's easy enough to grab a SIM when you hit the road, forward your phone calls to make sure that uh, people can find you wherever you go. Of course, you add in the Wi-Fi calling features that they have, and there's a good chance that you could save big if you choose T-Mobile as your carrier. So Mel, thank you very much for reminding us about T-Mobile. Well, if you have any questions or comments for us, you can send email or voicemails to questions at junkie.com and we'll get whatever you have to say on a future show. Joey, thank you very much as always for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at thecellphonejunkie.com.